Hello, Ridgeway Church. Uh, I've come up with a title for this series that we've been in the last couple of weeks. Uh, we'll call it our Safer at Home series. Um, it, we're looking at Paul's letter uh, to the church at, at Philippi, and he's writing from a prison in, in Rome. And uh, it's just uh, Paul's letter, even though it's not real long, it's just it's rich with, uh, with a lot of teaching, a lot of truth, uh, and, and a lot of encouragement. Um, Paul, just by way of a little history, he shows up on the pages of Scripture in the book of Acts as Saul, one who's actually persecuting the early Christ followers. And, and then he's on the road to Damascus where he's going to, uh, he has permission to go up and seek out some Christians there and maybe have them arrested. And, uh, and he encounters Jesus uh, in a vision and in such a way that his life is radically changed. And he becomes a missionary to the Gentiles. Uh, the Gentiles, those who aren't circumcised into the, the uh, into Judaism, the Jewish faith, and uh, and so he ends up going on several trips throughout what is today modern day Turkey, Greece, and he's preaching Jesus and he's planting churches. And then you fast forward about thirty years, and that's where it's believed Paul is writing this letter again from a from a, a prison in Rome. And uh, and what's unique about it, we've talked about the last couple of weeks, is. Uh, uh, there's, there's nothing specific. Sometimes he's writing to churches and he's having to bring correction or direction. It just seems to be a, a wonderful greeting and an expression of a, um, like a father in the faith who, who loves a people. And it's, it's rich with words like joy and, and, uh, and, 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 and uh, rejoice and uh, glad and those kind of words because he, he seems to really love this church. And Paul's joy it, well, it's it's overflowing from probably three things. His, his communion with Jesus, his relationship with, of course, the believers there at Philippi, and also what shows up in the letter is his, his hope of, of resurrection. Uh, Jesus, on Easter we celebrate, he rose from the dead. And the first believers, and especially Paul in his writings, he often preached and, and taught about uh, uh, an end time resurrection for all those who are found in Christ. A bodily resurrection, in fact. In, uh, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, he says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete. I just want to stop there for a second. When you think of Paul and his relationship with the, the Philippians, the church there at Philippi, uh, you would think that his joy is already complete. In fact, they've supported him, we find in this letter, at least three or four times, and they're just a very gracious and a giving church. They pray and they, they, they love uh, Paul. And, um, and in fact, they were also experiencing persecution and trials. Paul is being persecuted. Uh, he's in chains in a, in, a, in a prison in Rome, and they're encountering uh, some persecution as well. That shows up in the letter. So you'd think that, that Paul's joy would be complete. I mean, what more does Paul need to find complete joy with them? Here's what he says. He says, uh, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, and intent on one purpose. So uh, Paul is saying, here's how you're gonna just, <laughs> here's how you're just gonna fulfill my joy. Uh, if 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 you if you can if you can live in a life that is uh, uh, you're you're unified in your thinking you're 
your love is, there's an emotional harmony. If there's your spirit, you're unified in spirit, uh, intent in one purpose, there's a, a directional unity. You're, you're headed the same direction. So Paul is filled with joy saying when the Philippians are, are unified, when they're in unity. Can you imagine living your life at this level of harmony? Look at that, mental, emotional, spiritual, directional, unity. That is a high level of harmony. Uh, that's why I think Paul calls it complete joy. When, when a people come together in such a way, in such oneness, um, Paul in this case, who again is like a spiritual father, it, it just, it, it just is, is, is going to bring complete joy to him. It's going to fulfill him. And, uh, and, uh, and that's what he's saying. Now, here's the problem. In, you know, I, I've lived long enough. This this week, I I will have celebrated my 60th birthday. Uh, I, I can remember 30 years ago. Uh, this month, when we were packing up, uh, Debbie and I were living in Dallas, and I was uh, serving at a, a, a parachurch Bible institute and missionary organization. And we were uh, packing up and bringing our young family, our very small family, a five-month-old Brittany, uh, to, to Madison. And I was going to come here, and we were committed to um, uh, working alongside my father and uh, and here at, at at the church here, and we're pretty excited about that. And and uh, I just want to say that it's it's kind of strange uh, uh, not being able to be with you as we come close to our thirtieth anniversary. I mean, this is fun. I mean, to be able to serve a, an amazing community of believers uh, for all these years, and now we've been. Um, uh, I think going on nine weeks, eight or nine weeks, I'm losing count of when we're not able to be together. And by the way, I just, I've got to give a shout out. Thank you again for all of you who are, are just loving and caring for our community of faith during this time. Uh, I continue to hear uh, through our small groups, connect groups, our Celebrate Recovery, the different ministries, how you're just reaching out and we're connecting. Yes, it's virtually. <laughs> no, it's not the very best, but it's it's helpful. And the Holy Spirit uses all the different um avenues, the different platforms that we're communicating and touching and connecting uh, to be a blessing. And, and, and we long for the day, uh, as I've been saying this week, I'm, I'm longing for the old normal to come back because the new normal just doesn't cut it. But thank you to those of you who are, are reaching out, the cards, the letters, the phone calls, the texts, everything. We, we pastor together, we care for one another together. And this is, uh, has really been made uh, uh, real to me now. So a little rabbit trail there, but I was thinking just about where we're at and the place where I'm at right now. But I will say this, the, the longer I live, I realize this kind of unity, back to the point, this kind of unity that Paul's talking about, it's very rare. Rarely do we think or feel the same way. Rarely do we walk in the same direction. Um, just think of some of the posts or some of the comments in your social media uh, uh, this last week or so. One person posts this and then there's a, a plethora of replies and some of it's kind of biting and crazy if it's controversial. And another person may post something on the other side of the spectrum. And we, we live in a culture where uh, there's a whole lot of, um, of, of conversation and, and um, uh, heartfelt responses and, and unity oftentimes becomes a, a rare commodity uh, in the way we respond to one another. Um, I always joke, we have a, a, our connect group. We've not been able to meet even in our connect groups uh, here the last several weeks. But uh, 
my wife and I, Debbie, we host a connect group in our home and we just love, we're so close with uh, the 12 or 13 or 14 of us that gather once a week and we've been doing it through, uh, uh, through Zoom. Uh, but uh, I always laugh because a group of us guys, maybe there's four guys sitting around the table before our group starts and we're having some refreshments or whatever. And of the four guys, all four of us follow four different NFL football teams. How is that possible? And then if we add three children to the table, there's seven different NFL teams. And I'm thinking, there's no unity in the way we think. There's no emotional connection. We're all following different NFL teams. Uh, we're all going a different direction. And in my, you know, in my estimation for them, it's all the wrong direction. I mean, how can they eat cheese from my table and not be cheeseheads? I don't get it. I, I mean, it's just one of those things I'm having to get over. But anyway, we're working on them, and I believe God can still reach my friends, uh, and one day they'll all be Packer fans, but that's, a, that's another, another message another time. But you know what, I, I, I joke about that because the reality is we often think differently, we often feel differently, and we move in different directions uh, with different causes or different agendas. Um, so how about spiritually? Well, you probably, surely you're gonna say, but we're unified spiritually, I like what the German uh, theologian, I guess, see if I can say his name right, uh, Rupertus, Rupertus Melodenius, Melodenius, that's it. It doesn't even sound German to me. But anyway, the reason I bring up his name is because he's the one that's credited for that famous slogan that we've been using in the church, this, in, in the essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. He was a... Uh, he was a, 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 a 15th century uh, theologian. And I like what he's saying. It, it, it makes sense, and I hope we practice it. But in reality, in the essentials, we're not always unified in the church. Speaking of things theologically, we often, even in, in the things that are paramount, we believe are foundational, we, we think differently. If you go to a bookstore in a, um, in a, in a seminary or online, it's, we don't see as many bookstores on the corner anymore. We probably buy online. But uh, if, you, if you look at just a, a series on, let's say, what we call the atonement or the cross, how Christ uh, brought uh, his forgiveness through the cross, there, there'll be four different views on the atonement. There'll be three different views on baptism. There'll be five different views on the Lord's Supper. There'll be four views on hell. There'll be four views on, on church government or the book of Revelation. Here's three views. Uh, women in ministry, four views. So I think all of those theological uh, uh, points are pretty important. Probably could call most of those essential. However, uh, we have a lot of different uh, understandings and, and takes and views of these things. So here's what I'm trying to say. If we're looking for, uh, for uh, uh, you know, a, a, a mental or intellectual unity or, or emotional unity or, or uh, directional unity or spiritual unity, um, uh, we're, we're going to come up short apart from what I want to talk about here now. In fact, if we're looking for our theology to bring us spiritual unity, uh, we're going to likely be disappointed as well. You see, because oftentimes our differences are too great. And Paul's writing to this church and he's, he's saying, you know, you're going, to, you're going to fulfill my joy if you can walk in this level of, of unity. But it's apparent that our human harmony or unity uh, is, is only possible when we have an another standard in which to, to reach towards or another common focus. And I believe Paul knew that, so he reminded this church, this young church, of just what that standard was to be. 
He said the secret to complete joy or the secret to living in harmony with others is, is revealed in having an attitude of that of Christ. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. So, I mean, I, I said all that to say, we're just going to drift apart unless we have something to set our eyes on, a common focus. And Paul is saying it's the attitude of Christ. It's the person of Jesus Christ. I like what A.W. Tozer said in his book, The Pursuit of God. He says, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? For those of you who didn't uh, grow up in a musical world, the fork is a little device. You can ring it and it, and it sets the pitch and the tone and you can, you can uh, tune your instruments to that. They're all of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. Okay, so uh, all the pianos are tuning to one source and they're all in tune because they are tuning to an external source and, and he goes on to say, so what? So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Wow. Notice, looking away to Christ, not looking to some unity formula or a pet theology or a philosophy or a movement or pet agenda, he's saying looking to an external source, looking away to Christ, focusing on Jesus Christ, taking on the mindset or the attitude of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the standard to which we tune our souls. That's good for me to hear these days because my soul, like yours, is probably just uh, kind of like James uh, in, in, his, uh, in his letter speaks of uh, sometimes being double-minded and being tossed about like a, like a ship on the ocean and the waves battering it. And I, that picture, sometimes with all that's going on and all the noise around us during this season, um, we can just feel worn out and uh, we can lose focus and uh, our emotions can be going all over the place. Our, our mind, our thoughts, even spiritually, we can be uh, drifting or being challenged. Uh, but that a collective tuning to his example or attitude will produce corporate unity. Hear that again, that collective tuning to his example, his attitude, Christ's attitude will produce the, the unity that the apostle Paul is saying, that's gonna complete my joy. Here's just a couple of behaviors that I think we can kind of kind of uh, share with you just before we conclude uh, today. And, and, uh, and these, I think, will help us tune our hearts towards Christ, okay? And the first one is eradicate pride, all right? Um, deal with the issue of pride in our lives. Uh, you could probably say that pride is at the root of all the sin and all the brokenness in our lives. Every conflict has an element of pride in it. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Selfish ambition. Just, it's just, a, it's, it's a, it's a, um, it's a, it's a prideful expression, self-serving. It's all about me, my needs, my goals, my career, my success. It's all about me, me, I'm what matters. 
Uh, again, James, the, the, the leader of the Jerusalem church, he, he wrote this, this letter, this, uh, this book in the New Testament, and he says this, he says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and every evil practice. Wow, James kind of ramps it up a little bit. You know, Paul's saying, do nothing out of, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And, and James is saying, as he writes to the, the early Christians, he's saying, uh, if you have that envy and that selfish ambition, there's gonna be disorder, order, and then it's gonna bring in a level of darkness that you don't even want in your life. Uh, every evil practice. So it's like you're opening the door to, to, to deeper levels of darkness. That's, that's, that's quite a warning there. Selfish ambition, we see it everywhere. We see it in office politics and governmental politics. We see it in marriage. We see it in our schools. We see selfish ambition in, in our churches. We see it in the entertainment industry. It's just, it's such a part of our fallen nature. And, and I believe the Lord is telling us this today. And I believe Paul is giving us instruction. It's, it's time to eradicate it. It's time to remove that, that level of pride. And, and then the, the, the other part there of, of this, this encouragement and this, this command or directive is the area of vain conceit. Do nothing out of vain conceit. That self-opinionated, I'm always right mindset, you know. Uh, we've been there and, and we need to eradicate it. Uh, I like what the Good News translation says, don't do anything from a cheap desire to boast. I like that. Don't do anything out of a cheap desire to boast. So uh, vain conceit, um, uh, can't admit I'm wrong. Vain conceit, I, I can't back down in an argument. Vain conceit, I, I can't compromise. Vain conceit, I have trouble forgiving. And I believe the Holy Spirit's saying, it's time to eradicate that. It's time to get that out. If we want to turn our hearts or tune our hearts towards Jesus, it's, it's, that's what needs to happen. So the next behavior is to pursue humility. That's kind of the, the opposite. If you've got pride, the opposite of that is humility, and we need to pursue it uh, with, with all of our hearts. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And he says, but rather in humility, value others above yourself. Sometimes we misunderstand humility. It's, it's, it's not thinking less of myself, it's thinking of myself less. It's not trying to beat up myself, it's taking myself, parking it over here, and thinking of others more. Humility is not denying my strengths, it's being honest about my strengths and recognizing my weaknesses, and then out of relationship that God puts in my life, it's staffing my weaknesses and not getting so hung up. It's not about me and my strength. It's just about my honesty and looking to others to be the strength in my life. It's not putting myself down. It's humility is about building others up. All right, do you see that? We can move from that negativity. Oh, I gotta be negative and you walk around and you, you know, your chin's on the ground and you're all down in the face. No, humility is a beautiful, refreshing breath of Christ in our lives that builds us up and as it's building us up, it's bringing hope and strength to those around us. It's not devaluing myself, it's valuing others more. Again, James says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Look at that. I wanna be on God's side, don't you? What God opposes is pride. I wanna get rid of that 
and he gives grace to the humble. I want to walk on that side of the fence. And grace uh, that allows me to be humble gives me the ability to forgive when it's difficult. Grace is that ability to resolve conflict when I don't feel like it. Grace is the ability to compromise even though I'm convinced I don't need to. Do you see that? That's what grace, that's what humility is about. It's the ability to build when the natural urge is to tear down. So that's that's that second thing. Let's 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 fill our lives with with that beautiful presence and fragrance of Christ-like humility. And another helpful behavior is just pay attention. Think of that in the culture we live in today. Paying attention. We live in such a media saturated world, don't we? And I was just in our staff meeting today, and and uh, it's not uncommon. And I'm I'm. I say guilty of this myself, but we've got our smartphones, we've got our devices, and, and we're all multitasking. And oftentimes we're we're checking another email while we're talking or somebody else is talking. And I just I, I oftentimes find myself wanting to do the same thing because we are just we are inundated and get saturated by media and connecting. And oftentimes somebody will say something, I'll shoot a text out to somebody in the church or a leader or something like that. We're just always, always on these, uh, uh, connecting through these different mediums, uh, walking to and fro, earbuds, and, and again, smartphones, to- totally focused on so many things. And, and it, can, it can be so good, it can be such a blessing, uh, it, it can be encouragement to people, but it can also be a distraction to the relationships God puts in front of us. Sometimes we need to pause and pay attention, all right? Imitating Jesus involves learning to be attentive, and that might be more difficult today than it's ever been because of um, uh, of all the technology that we have. Paul says, don't look out uh, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others also or two. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others. Okay, so are you only interested in what concerns you? I, I hope not. I don't think so. But these are some good questions. Do you get bored with others talk about their interests? Well, sometimes you're with people that all they talk about is themselves and you have to kind of really focus to pay attention and, and maybe someone needs to coach others up in how to have a, uh, a dialogue and not a monologue. We've all been guilty maybe of just going off on a, a monologue. I think as humans, we need to converse and there needs to be uh, a give and take in our conversational relationships. But do you find your attention drifting away? All right, by nature, you know what? Again, that that fallen nature in humanity is we're we're we're, we're selfish. We're interested in what we're interested in, oftentimes, and 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 we can be self-centered. So giving your your attention, it's 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 a value. You know, money you can give away, and you can earn more money, and you can give away, and it can be a blessing to people. But you know what? Once you've given your time, it's gone. You'll never get that time back that you gave. So when you give your attention. It's, it's an incredible gift. It's an incredible personal treasure because that's an, something that you have now. And once it's invested in somebody, it's gone forever. But hopefully as it's invested in people, it becomes a source of encouragement, paying attention. It becomes a source of life and, uh, and a source of Christ in the lives of those that we, we care for. So uh, listening is not necessarily paying attention. How many times are, uh, have you been on a conversation, a telephone call, and somebody's talking and your mind is somewhere else and you're doing something else and, and then it's too quiet and they said, did you hear me? And you say, yeah, but you weren't listening. There's a difference in hearing and listening. And uh, to pay attention, it means that we need to care about 
others as much as we care about ourselves, okay? And so finally, uh, uh, just a final point is just practice Jesus, all right? Um, Imitate Jesus. Remember the wristbands we had years ago, WWJD, what would Jesus do? How do we practice what Jesus would do? Paul says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Uh, Paul, at this point in the letter, he just begins to share this beautiful poem or hymn. Uh, Scholars don't know if it was something that was already in the church, if it's a part of an ancient creed and defining what Jesus did. All I know is I'm glad Paul put it in there, Uh, whether it's original with him or whether some other apostles had said it. It's just beautiful. It's rich. And it says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. So how do I practice Jesus? Uh, it It starts with not thinking the way I thought, all right? Thinking different. The way I used to think before I, I, I began to want to act like Jesus and imitate Jesus and practice Jesus, it was, well, I deserve this. I deserve uh, uh, me, me, me. And and uh, we can become demanding. Uh, it's about my rights. After all, we're Americans and we have the preamble and the Declaration of Independence. And if government gets too crazy, uh, we just throw them off and we have tea parties. And and so we have all of our rights as uh, as as Americans. And I'm speaking, you know, just from from our own experience here. But but the question is, how does that conflict or how does that jibe with our relationship with Jesus Christ? And here's just one thing to think about uh, for me personally, because there's so much swirling even in, in the present place we're at right now and condition we're in right now as a country and lots of people expressing and voicing their opinions. And and uh, and it's only going to increase, obviously, as, as we move into the summer and as things open up and at the speed that things are open up. A lot of people are hurting. Uh, a lot of people are really concerned. And uh, But how, as Christians, are we to respond? And something that I just was thinking about, how I treat others when my stress meter is peaking is, is key to how I practice Jesus. Okay, so the stress is going to increase. That needle's gonna go all the way to the top at times. And the question is, how do I respond? Uh, If I don't think the way I used to think before I committed my life to Christ and chose to grow in Christ, then we pop off, we go crazy with our social media, we, we maybe say some things that are hurtful. Uh, we drive wedges in relationships. Uh, we, we aren't neighborly. And, and so uh, I know this is a, a loaded statement, but just let's, let's think the way Christ would have us to think in this season. And let's treat others as Christ has called us to, to honor and to lay down our lives for those around us. Jesus was God and he chose to give up his divine privileges. Wow, I like that translation. He gave up his divine privileges. He didn't give up being God. He just laid down that authority that was his from the heavenly realms so that he could become flesh and live among us and, 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 and do what, the, what he was called to do. Uh, all the way to the cross as we see this poem uh, progress here. So uh, acting like Jesus means I don't think the way uh, I used to think. Uh, and, and acting like Jesus also means I look for ways that, that I can serve. 
Look for ways that I can serve. Paul says he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. So not only did he lay down his privileges, but Jesus here, it says, he, he took the humble position of a slave, of a servant, and he is born into <laughs> the human condition. So uh, we get to look for ways that we can serve if we want to uh, if we want to model Jesus Christ in this hour. God's kingdom is so often the exact opposite of our natural world. Uh, in, in the kingdom of God, it's not the more people serving you, but it's the more people that you serve. Jesus said, if you wanna be great, you become a servant of all. If you wanna become rich, you give your life away. Well, that, that's, not, that's not what they teach us in Economics 101. In the kingdom of God, self-esteem does not come from my salary. It does not come from my status. It doesn't come from my stuff. It comes from my service. It comes from my life being poured out. I look for ways that I can serve. That's how I act like Jesus. That's how I practice Jesus. What better example than Mother Teresa and how her life uh, serving the very least and the hurting, the broken beggars of, of Calcutta, and yet God raised her up to speak to leaders of nations, presidents and people in high places, a servant to all servants. And God says, I'm going to exalt her. And she was a beautiful voice for so many years. Uh, Final scripture I just want you to see, it's, it's, it's in Philippians 2.8. It says, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Wow. Uh, if I want to act like Jesus, I need to obey at all costs. You and I need to obey when we sense the Holy Spirit leading us when we understand what the scriptures are saying, and when we just sense God's leading us, we need to obey whatever the cost. Now, chances are we won't go to, go to the cross and die and have to die for our faith. Some will, some do. But, but just the, the, the spirit of this is that there's a, there's, to act like Jesus means as the Lord leads us, we lay down our lives for him. That's good. So these are behaviors that can help us tune our hearts towards Jesus Christ, like those pianos in A.W. Tozer's uh, wonderful writing there. Our hearts tuned to Jesus Christ, practice Jesus, pay attention to those around us, pursue unity, and let's, let's deal with the pride issue in this season. Let's do that. Let me pray for you right now. Lord, I just thank you for these moments that we could just look at this beautiful letter. Thank you, God, for Paul's writing in a very difficult place in a prison in Rome so many so many centuries ago and how your Holy Spirit can take those words and those instructions and, 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 and uh, these beautiful verses and bring Holy Spirit to us life today. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to do a deep work in our hearts as we choose to be lights that shine in this season of difficulty. Lord, help us to be the very best neighbors. Help us to be the very best fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Help us to be the very best co-workers. Lord, help us to pray for all those around us during this crisis. Lord, we do pray for our government. We pray for those in authority today. We pray for those who are serving us sacrificially. Lord, we pray for those who are at the, on the front lines of this uh, 
of this difficult uh, pandemic, Lord Jesus. And we ask you that you would give them grace and protection and wisdom. And Lord, help us to be imitators of you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.